1: Today on the Optus Sport Football Podcast, Spanish journalist Phil Melides and European football expert Julian Lorenz joins me to go over the weekend's Premier League and La Liga action. Arsenal leave it late, Ange Ball rolls on and Bellingham scores again, of course. I'm Mark Schwartzer and we'll be talking all that and more on this week's Optus Sport Football Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Optus Sport Football Podcast. And yes, I'm finally back from my travels. As always, I'm joined by Phil Kitromelidis from a very rainy Madrid. Hope you've taken some cover there, Phil. Tell us, what's been going on?
2: Uh, It's just started to rain now, Mark. Yesterday we were told to expect biblical downpours. It was going to be the end of the world. They cancelled the Atletico Madrid Sevilla match because of this heavy forecast. And then it didn't really rain at all. It was a bit cloudy, little bit of drizzle, and then nothing. Uh, but now it has started to rain. So, uh, yeah, this 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 country, certainly Madrid, they're they're not set up for for rain. Uh, they got so scared and panicked and cancelled a football match. And it was just a little bit of drizzle. So, uh, yeah, it's a little bit wet, but nothing that a lot of people elsewhere aren't used to.
1: Well, good good to hear that you're uh, you're actually nice and dry and safe. Anyway, <laughs> we're also joined by European football expert Julian Laurens, Jules. We haven't spoken, I don't think, since the Matildas (laughs) knocked France out of the World Cup. I just get this feeling you're avoiding me.
3: Did you have to really start with that, the show, like reminding me of that night? I mean, we had fun together before the game. And then what an incredible atmosphere, the game for the Matildas. Of course, we were gutted to lose on penalties the the way it happened. And there was maybe a feeling that... The game could have gone really French. Francois too, even before the pens. But, but credit to the Matildas—they showed so much strength in that game, on every level, and especially to win that incredible penalty shootout. So, so well done. I was, I was still happy for you, and I had an amazing time in Australia, as you knew, as you know, for the World Cup. So, I'm glad to be back with you. But let's not talk about that game anymore, please.
1: But <laughs> I'm glad that you had a good time anyway, and. When I mentioned about rain in Madrid, it just reminded me of you getting soaked pitchside <laughs> before the game uh, against France, Matilda's France game. So that was actually a lot of fun. Uh, you're right. Um, let's talk about Arsenal, Manchester United. It was the biggest game. It was talked about the most for this weekend. We didn't quite get the level that we'd expected from them. Um, there was those moments, the two goals, right? So Rashford's goal firstly, and then we've got the the, the respond by by Arsenal um, was, was also brilliant, Phil, wasn't it?
2: It was. I, I thought it was a very enjoyable game. I mean, the uh, the the level maybe we were expecting from both teams wasn't necessarily the highest, and obviously. Arsenal did they deserve to win I'm not sure I think maybe a draw would have been a fairer result yes Arsenal had possession but when they were in and around the the Man United penalty area it just felt that they were overcomplicating things there wasn't the zip there to open things up and I think maybe a draw would have been a, a fair result but I, I really enjoyed watching this game it's one of these games that I sat down and I thought wow this is entertainment this is a spectacle much like the Man United Spurs game a couple of weeks ago I just thought it was really open pretty wild which is maybe not what managers like but for neutrals watching a game i thought it was pretty wild pretty open and, and and really good fun to watch and then obviously when you have such immense drama at the end it does ramp it up uh, a little bit so yeah okay arsenal arsenal won, massive win for them catalyst win for them manchester united problems on the road they still haven't played well this season at all and uh, you know plenty of uh, things for eric Hard to think about during this international break jules right yeah, you're right. I think you summed it up well. It was interesting after
3: the game. So Ten Hag first came out and said, well, we were the better team. We deserve to win. And then Arteta said, we were the better team. We deserve to win. I still think the Arsenal aged a little bit because I, they just looked sharper. I thought the, the plan was clear there, even with party's absence. And for United, I still struggle a little bit to understand what they're trying to do. Away from home, especially as you mentioned, Phil. I mean, if you look at last season and even this season, so the defeat at Spurs and Spurs away and Arsenal away are two tough games, of course, but they considered seven at Liverpool last season, six at City. Um, they lost, I think, at Newcastle as well. Or they drew maybe at Newcastle, but they lost all those games, even at West Ham. They can't, just, just can't travel. And you can't achieve anything in the Premier League if you can't travel better. And it's not just traveling, it's just going away and, and having, um, and just putting it on performance where you know you can still win the game. I didn't really feel yesterday they were playing to win that game. I think they were happy with the draw for too much of it. And yeah, of course, the Garnaccio goal disallowed is, is for a few centimeters. We can talk about the Holland potential penalty or the foul on on, on Evans by Gabriel on the rise goal. I, I, I didn't think, I, I thought the referee got that right, got those rights overall with VAR. But, but in the end, I just don't think he's good enough for United. And just to finish... From my side on this, when you finish the game with a back four of Dalot, a left back, one Bissaka, right back, and then Maguire and Johnny Evans, this is not acceptable from a team like you know, Manchester United. This is not good enough.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, so you mentioned there, penalty overturn, which you think is right. Goal ruled out. Offside, that was really tight. Ten Hag complained about it. He's got no leg to stand on, has he really, Phil?
2: Well, no, it's offside. I mean, it might not look offside, but then when the lines are drawn and it's clearly shown to be offside, even if it's millimetrically, that is the rules that we have now. So even if it's very tight, it's still offside. So no, I don't think he's got anything to complain about. And I agree with Jules. I mean, you know, the, the, the manager's complaining, but I think all the big decisions were right. I don't think that was a penalty and I don't think there was a penalty on Hoyland either. So yeah, I think, I think, I think everything um, was uh, pretty much spot on in terms of, in terms of the referee.
1: Ten Hag's response, Jules. Were you surprised by that? Saying how well he thought they played. There's progression. Do you? I mean, there's no progression, right?
3: Completely. I agree with you, Mark. I mean, I don't. I, we didn't watch the same game, and I, I know it's hard. I mean, you must have had it, Mark, on going to do a flash interview straight after a game where, in the heat of the moment, you probably didn't have time to, even you as a goalkeeper, maybe to have a clearer picture, I don't know, but for Ten Hag to come out and just say, we were the better team, we deserved to win, we played, he said it was an amazing performance or something like that. I was like, what? Well, like, how, where? You know, I, okay, they lost the game, a game that they could have drawn easily, like Phil said, okay, and we'd be talking differently if they got maybe a point. But even a point, the way they played was not good enough, really. And like, Rashford scored an amazing goal on his own, the ball from Ericsson is great, but apart from that, there was just not enough, I felt, United, from United going forward. So for Ten Hag to come out and say that, defensively, they didn't really look that great. Casemiro, I know, I know Amrabat will help him a lot defensively, but I just looked, I, I felt they looked exposed a lot of the time. And the goal they conceded, the Odegaard goal, should never happen. It should never happen. Not even, even if you hadn't scored before, you should not let that guy who, this is what he does, with all that space on the edge of the box. It's just crazy. So... I'm a bit worried for Ten Hag, a by Ten Hag to start with, because if that's his reaction, and then we would talk about the Jadon Sancho line, that was also, I, th- I felt a bit brutal, whatever, but, but for him, he looks like a bit in denial, and I think, I, I think that is wrong, and that's quite worrying because they've got big games coming up, they've got the Champions League as well, where, okay, their group is, is, is okay, they should still qualify. But if, if he thought that was really good and an improvement, I don't know, I, 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 he's a bit lying to himself, I think.
1: Yeah, it just seems to be a lot of stuff coming out of Manchester United right now. Like you mentioned there, Ten Hag saying they played well, which I don't think was anywhere near the levels we'd expected um, from them. But then there's also the fact that um, when, when he says he says that Jadon Sancho didn't play to the levels or train to the levels he expect to play for Manchester United. Jadon Sancho's response on Instagram, uh, Twitter was was quite sensational in terms of saying, Don't believe everything you read, I'm being used as a scapegoat here. Unfair. What's going on? Seriously, Phil, what what's going on at
2: Manchester United right now? Yeah, I mean that's it doesn't seem the best tactic from Ten Hag to do that. And if you're questioning Jaden Sancho's attitude now, I mean Manchester United tried to side Jaden Sancho for a long time. Uh he's been there for a while and to now start coming out and saying, Oh, you know, his attitude's a problem, um this doesn't seem particularly coherent. And when you hear a manager saying things like that, it does just smack of everything's not alright and he's clearly under pressure and when you've had four games and you've not really played well in any of those four games and you've spent big in the summer as well and you are Manchester United so there's inherently so much pressure and you're coming out with these kind of statements, it, it, it really doesn't look good and I, I don't know what's going on. Maybe the truth is a
3: bit in between, yeah maybe his attitude was not perfect or maybe not to the high standard that Ten Hag wanted would you expose him like this? Ten Hag could easily have said something else as an answer instead of saying, Yeah, he, he trained badly. That's why we dropped him. That's a, a sanction. We punished him, basically. That's what he said. Ten Hag should have easily said, He didn't feel great this week. I don't you know anything. Managers say that all the time. So I felt from Ten Hag to just throw him under the bus, really, that's what happened, was not maybe the right thing to do, especially after a defeat like that. Maybe Ten Hag wanted to almost deflect. The situation from what was now a very good performance from his team to uh, look at let's talk about general sancho instead which i don't think again is the right thing to do with the, with any of your players which you should you should be protecting them really this is what your job also is and then let's not forget that eric ten high is what he's the guy doing the transfers for united there's no doubt anymore now i think it's pretty clear that john Murtough. Or darren fletcher are not really in, in charge he's the one decided so all that money that f- like phil you mentioned that they've spent is over over 400 million pounds since he arrived to then finish with the back four that we mentioned to have amrabah literally on the last minute of a transfer window that you have to scrap through some sort of loan after being insulting on your first offer plus like you know holand who arrives already injured. Onana, okay, really good keeper, but still no cover at centre-backs. The start transfer window, again, is not good enough for Manchester United, and that's also why you lose this game towards the end because the the, the 11 you have at the end for the last 15, 20 minutes, certainly defensively, is not good enough, and it should not be the defence that Manchester United, even with the injuries that they have, which is not their fault, should be be put up for a game like this. No way.
1: Yeah, looks like they're a long, long way off. All right, quickly... Do either of these teams look like they're capable of challenging Manchester City? Jules, you start.
3: I think Arsenal are the closest with Liverpool, probably. But City are, for now, certainly still, I think, in the world of their own.
2: Uh, Hard to disagree with that. Um, On the preview pod, we tipped... (coughs) I say we... I tip chelsea to come top four and you know to to to, to considerably improve. and we don't need to we don't need to go down that so route we said so again. Um, so i didn't hear yeah yeah we we said that we thought was it, was no, it we well, out, right, out of this get we out of this all right yes all right yeah 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 so um <clears throat> that that that's not going according to plans and i don't think they're going to be uh, entering the title race so yeah i mean arsenal are going to be the closest but Manchester City are going to win it again. I mean, I don't think it's ridiculous to say that now after four games. It's very, very difficult to see anyone else uh, winning the Premier League. But, you know, we'll see.
1: Yeah, it doesn't look like anyone's really close at the moment, right? Let's four games in. Let's not get too carried away. However, yeah, City, yeah. Uh, they look amazing. Brighton and Hove Albion against Newcastle. Brighton three, Newcastle one. Is that, like, is was that a surprise to anyone?
2: Uh, can I just shout out to our executive producer, Lucas, who last week left off the running order any mention of the Newcastle game because they were uh, beaten uh, last week. And I managed to <laughs> get it in that 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 game against uh, Liverpool. I thought it was important for us to talk about it. Uh, so um, I think uh, I think, you know, shout out to him for including it in this week, because obviously it is a very uh, important and eye catching result um i think it was surprising not least because you know last last weekend they weren't bad against uh, they weren't bad against liverpool and again and against manchester city they haven't been they weren't bad either you know a narrow 1-0 loss and then in the first game of the season they were brilliant against aston villa completely blew them away the intensity right from the start was 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 seriously impressive so uh, to lose like this at brighton is perhaps a little bit um surprising that said the start to the season that they've had has been a difficult one, obviously, and you know going to, uh, against Manchester City, Liverpool, and Brighton. they are three tricky games, which in theory you could lose, uh, but this is the kind of game where Man, where um, Newcastle, if they are to be top four contenders, and don't forget, after the first game, Eddie Howe was talking about dreaming, and that dreaming being dreaming of winning the Premier League title. We can dream. So if you're going to be a Premier League title contender, you've got to be winning these kind of games, which um, which they didn't, and they didn't look particularly. There, was, there wasn't any of that intensity. They looked a little bit nervy. Uh, the first goal that they conceded is just a, a catalog of catastrophic football. And from there on, I just felt that it affected their confidence and they, they, they never really looked in it. And as we said, Brighton are a very good side. And, um, and they, they, they punished them. That said, okay, the first goal they gifted they're they gifted. Uh, the second goal is a shot from distance and the third goal takes a deflection. So, OK, the the margins are relatively fine, but on the balance of play and everything that we saw, Brighton were pretty worthy winners here, I felt.
3: It's just if you look at the XG, the expected goals, I think Brighton is just 1.3 for three goals. And and yeah, the Pope, on I, the, I was going to ask you, Mark, your, your opinion. The first one, OK, it's, it can happen. The second one, I thought it should also have saved it on that Ferguson long run shot. The third one is deflected. But Newcastle on the other also had a decent XG in 1.2, I think one 1.23, something like that. They started well. But I don't know. I, I wonder if that defeat against Liverpool so late, even if it was just seven days earlier or six days earlier, still had a bit of an effect on this Newcastle side in the sense that as soon as they fell a bit under pressure, they it felt like they they crumbled. And Evan Ferguson is a is a great talent. And I think the Zerby can do something very, very good with him but i i do wonder if pope doesn't fumble the first goal and does and stop that second one if maybe the game obviously could be different because those mistakes are quite unusual for you know from from someone like is really reliable usually
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, may, maybe the, the talk of, of Hugo Lloris potentially coming to Newcastle, yeah. maybe that sort of, you know, was in his head a little bit. Yeah, it was un- uncharacteristic of Pope to, to have a performance like that. Certainly what we've seen of him. And go, I'm going to go back to what Eddie Howe said at first game. Phil, you mentioned it about we could dream, start to dream. That's turned into a nightmare. Three losses. The next three games are losses. So is Eddie, Eddie Howe a victim of his own success um, if these results continue? Because the expectations of Newcastle now are that they're going to go to places like Brighton and win. They're going to challenge for the title. Eddie Howe himself said it, Phil.
2: I think he's, uh, yeah, a victim of raised expectations of, you know... (laughs) massive investment <laughs> brings uh, huge expectations particularly our club at newcastle i think you know it's worth underlining the enormous social fan base that they have this is a massive club and that gets banded around a lot the phrase we're a big club we're a... newcastle are a big club they are a huge club and there is big expectations there and and there's, it's been pretty euphoric, I think, on on Tyne's side. We've spoken to Michael Bridges on the podcast, uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks. Well, he's, and he biased anyway. and he was, he's biased anyway. He's biased. <laughs> uh, he's 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 a little bit biased, depending on who you ask, because, uh, you know, he's biased towards Newcastle, then Sunderland, then Spurs as well. So, uh, But when, he's been at Newcastle um, commentating and he's been telling us, you know, what the atmosphere has been like. And it has been euphoric expectant and people feeling like they are on the cusp of something special and they didn't lose three games in a row uh, last season i don't think and they've lost three games in a row now so That will bring them down. That will obviously bring them down. They've got the Champions League to start again in a tough group. uh, So that will also uh, adjust uh, expectations and perhaps bring them a bit more down to reality as well. But it's normal. I think Eddie Howe would have known this. I mean, I don't think it's a surprise to him that the expectations are huge. He would have known, right, I'm at a big club. There's been... Unbelievably big uh, foreign investment here. We're into the Champions League. People are going to expect us to to do serious things. And that's why he was talking about dreaming. Uh, But yeah, I don't think it's a nightmare yet. But I think they're definitely, you know, they've woken up and they're in in the real world now. Uh,
1: uh, Jules, Phil mentioned there Newcastle being a massive club, which we all know they are, right? Mm -hmm. But are they ready to challenge? Doesn't look like at the moment they're ready to challenge, go anywhere near that. And you look at that, mentioned the Champions League group, AC Milan, PSG, Dortmund... I mean, what's going to happen with Newcastle if they continue along the same vein?
3: Yeah, it would be interesting to see that the next game after the international break is Brentford at home. So you would, you know, this is big because Brentford away from home can counter on you, can be really, really lethal and really difficult to play against. So that's not going to be easy. And then, and then you're right, you go to Milan uh, straight away. Then you'll have City at home in the, in the Carabao Cup, in the League Cup too. So in the space of... Another two weeks after when we come back from the international break, things could be even worse. They could be better, of course, and you can beat Brentford and then you can go to Milan and get something. Of course you can. But now they're really under pressure because they talk about Eddie Howe. What could happen to Eddie Howe if things don't get better? Could he get sacked? What are the Saudis going to do? And suddenly you all of that. Last season, they were so good because defensively, they were the best team in the country by far. Remember before the World Cup, they stayed like, what? It was six weeks or eight weeks without considering a single goal. Now they've considered in each of their first four games, one against Villa, one against City, and, and you're right, they're all tough games. Those four games are tough. They were tough games. But still, the two late ones against Liverpool, then three then on Ferguson and Brighton. So unless, unless he can sort that defence out, I don't think, despite Isak and Tonali and Bruno Guimaraes and Almiron and all the attacking talent that they have, if they don't get better defensively, they're not going to go anywhere this season, nor in the top four, nor in the knockout stage of the Champions League. None of that is going to happen. So this is a big job ahead of him. And so far, he took over. They were bottom of the table. He took them to 11th in the first six months, then fourth. Everything has been great. There's been no crisis, nothing. Now, for the first time, he's under pressure. There's the crisis. So let's see how he does. And, and maybe to be fair to him, the international break comes at the, at the best time for Newcastle and for Eddie Howe.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? We talk about Newcastle, the pressure that Eddie Howe's on. Let's talk about Brighton, how good they were, but also their manager, Deservey. What he's done at Brighton has been absolutely incredible. So he's, he's just seen... His stock just keeps getting better and better all the time. And they has got a player called Evan Ferguson, 18 years old, a hat-trick. He was on absolute fire. Graham Potter couldn't get this out of him, but Deservey can.
2: Is he the real deal? Phil? Uh, he certainly looks it and it was okay you know um the three goals that he scored they weren't massive individual uh, sensational goals but he was obviously in the right place at the right time for the first one the second one is a shot from distance that maybe the goalkeeper should better the third is a deflected shot so let's let's not get completely carried away but yeah it was a it was a it was a you know a pretty impressive performance from a teenager scoring these kind of goals i just i want to ask i want to ask jules Obviously, I live in Spain. I cover Spanish football week in, week out. And Brighton have just signed Ansu Fati, yeah. and I'm thinking, does does Ansu Fati get in this team? Does does is there is there a place for him in this starting eleven? Because at the moment, it's looking like it's going to be difficult for him to get in here. Yeah,
3: you're right, and that's that's also the the debate here in in England about okay, you've got a great talent on your hand, maybe not at the level that he used to be because of all the injuries and. He's been really more out than in the, the Barca team. But where do you play him? Mitoma and Marsh have done extremely well for, yeah. for Brighton. They know the system so well. They know how he plays. For me, Phil, I see him, and I know on the left wing is his more natural position. I get that. I wonder if there's a, there's room for him as a second striker here. So behind Ferguson or Welbeck, whoever plays in front, or Pedro, it could be as well. All the, those different options that they have. And then you put on Sufati almost in a free role behind really? the striker, but they can also go wide and link up with Mitoma on the left or Marsh on the right. And maybe you can even um, it, like change, change the position between Mitoma and Fatih and Marsh and all of that, maybe. Maybe that's where, that's where they see him at his best. What was interesting though, I thought with Ferguson and, and Ferguson was used as a target man, which he's also very good at because he's such a strong boy for most of his young career. What the Zerbi is bringing to Ferguson's game is, is more to so flexibility, if you want. Like, yesterday, like on Saturday, he dropped a little bit to be between the two lines of four that Newcastle played in because they were 4-4-1-1 four, four, one, one formation. And mm. that was great. And that's how he found his space there. And then now he could get the ball. They give him the ball. He can turn. He can, he can, they can use him far more than just as a target man like in, in Mark's days, in the old school days, you know, in the 70s, 80s. I'm only kidding, Mark. <laughs> I'm only kidding. You're not that old. That's and all and right, that's, that, I'm that's it. what the Zerbi does. And just to finish on the Zerbi and, and a bit on Sufati, when you look at Billy Gilmore, who could not get a mm. game at Chelsea, who went to Brighton to, to, to play with Potter, and then Potter left him at Brighton to go to Chelsea, and what the Zerbe is doing with him now is great. And if Ansufati can benefit from that, which I'm sure he will because he's a clever kid and a good kid, the Zerbe, I think, can again bring Ansufati back to the level that. You saw Phil when he was a 16-year-old breaking onto the scene and he looked so amazing. So I really hope that's the case. But this Brighton team, who was obviously destroyed by West Ham on the counter not that long ago, when they're on their day like this and when they get a bit of luck, they are so, so good and so difficult to play against.
1: Yeah, if anyone's going to get the best out of Fatih, I think it's going to be Deservey because he's done an incredible job with uh, with, with a with a bright side that uh, I think he's completely taken on to another level. Obviously, he's brought in some players, but they're looking very, very good. European football as well, don't forget. So, um, Ansu Fatih, I'm sure, will play our part, and if not, probably a big part um, throughout the course of the season. Let's move on to Burnley against Tottenham. Our favourite subject, Ange Ball. The train rolls on. Opta Sports spoke to Hu ming Son after his hat-trick at the weekend. Let's hear what he had to say about his new manager.
3: I'm so grateful that I'm, that I'm working with him and I learned so many things as a player but also as a human being. And it's been a fantastic journey until until now. But I think in the future, I think we will have more fun to work together. So I will do everything while he asks because he's giving so much Good uh, information to us as a as a human, as a as a manager. So we are very very happy that working with him. So, and he also hopefully he's he's happy happy as well to having this uh, this group of players. So, but I think players should take a more responsibility to make him happy and this club make uh, more moving
0: forward.
1: That's what you want to hear from a player, don't you, about your new manager, and certainly about Ange Postacoglu-Jules. I mean, we we as Aussies, we are obviously watching this <laughs> with every kind of moment we have a chance to. We want to talk about anything that Ange does, and so far, there's a lot of positivity out of Spurs.
3: So much, both on the pitch and off the pitch, really, which I think was, was what the club wanted from Ange, because on the pitch, and we would talk about it and, and feel... Will know more than us because he's, you know, he's Spurs obsessed. But it's great what we see. It's great to see Madison like that. It's great that Ange, for example, recognised the high line defensively from Burnley. So you put Son in there, that he would be even more lethal than a Richarlison, for example, or anybody else in that position. And look how well it worked. But for me, before Phil can talk a bit more, and you, Mark, about the football itself, from here, from a London-based point of view. And has been great with everybody, the club, the tea ladies, the young players, the other managers. Everybody at the club love him. He's that kind of guy, ma You know him well. You know he's, he's he's such a fun guy. He's so warm. And then with the media as well, some of the press conferences have been brilliant because he talks about football, but he also talks like if he was your mate at the pub, really. And I think this is why he is and it would have been such a shame for him and he would have never changed anyway. But imagine if he thought, okay, I'm going to Spurs now, maybe I need to, to, to be ever a little bit differently or be different, but no, he's himself. And, and that's great. And to be fair, he seduced everybody at the club and, 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 and won over if you want, although that's, that's, that's maybe not the right word. But also the media, the people who are coming to watch Spurs, who work on Spurs or, or you know, cover Spurs, all of that, he's been, he's been really a breath of fresh air. He's been great so far. Phil, I
1: think is it great it, to be a Spurs fan again? <laughs>
2: <clears throat> it is, you know. And I spoke last uh, last week about me having sort of fallen a bit out of love with with Spurs last week last season, and it being difficult for me finding time to watch them uh, every week. And now suddenly I can find time to watch them because it's genuinely <laughs> a, it's genuinely a joy. But I think just picking up on something that that, that Jules said there. I mean, about how Spurs approached the game against Burnley, and I think we also. We don't want to fall into the trap of doing um, Ange Postegoglu a, a disservice by just thinking, ah, oh, he's this big, friendly, colourful character who's nice and honest talking and you know, everyone like. But he's also a very good manager. He's clearly a very good coach. Like, he... he has a good rapport with the players, but at the same time, he understands what is needed from each game. But Jules is absolutely right. You no know, playing son uh, there to take advantage of the of the Burnley uh, high line. Okay, it's 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 not you know rocket science, but it was a clearly a good decision that, that that paid dividends. And I just want to just underline the fact that he's not just this friendly, lovable guy that everyone has taken to, which is true, mm-hmm. but he's also a manager that is taking the right decisions. And this coming off the back of when I think he didn't take the right decision midweek in the in the Carabao yeah, Cup great. when he changed nine players and Spurs went out and the fans were really disappointed and it's a little bit like why did you need to make nine changes when Spurs only have I think uh, was it 15 games this season this this year until Christmas there's only 15 games there's no European football he, he said well I need to see these players but you know uh, I think a lot of fans were a little bit disappointed with that to come back and to start the 11 that he did and to make those changes that he did against Burnley just reinforced uh, what what everybody's feeling about Ange and they're singing his name they're going to be singing his name for a while and it's a really really positive start uh, for Spurs you know 10 points from 12 and we do also fall into this trap where at the start of the season well you know people are just finding their way and if you drop points you can pick the these points, also, they all count the same. So if you get 10 points from your first four games, it's the same as 10 points from your last four games. So this is a really, really positive start from Spurs.
1: Yeah, and it's about the freedom, right? So Spurs are actually playing without freedom. James Madison is a different player. Oof. I mean, he, we're seeing we're seeing a James Madison that I think that so many people thought was there, but we've just not seen him regularly. And, and, and now we're doing it with Spurs, right, Phil?
2: Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, I think I did, uh, I did see a tweet... Um, saying, remember, James Madison only cost 40 million pounds. And for me in my Spanish brain, you know, only 40 million pounds. That's an incredible amount of money. But with the amount of money that's being spent in the Premier League and on midfielders, 40 million pounds is an unbelievable bargain. He's wearing the number 10 shirt. Obviously, someone else was wearing the number 10 shirt for the last few years who is no longer here, and I don't want to say that he's James Madison and Ange together have made everybody forget about Harry Kane, but we're certainly not talking about him as much as we would be had things not gone this way, and yes, James Madison has the freedom to control the game, to score goals, we're seeing him getting into those goal-scoring positions, and... He's loving life as well. You can see he's playing with a smile. He's celebrating with the fans. He's he's he's, he's, he's a joy to watch. And I think Spurs fans are, are really delighted with him and the role that he's been given.
1: Jules, I love that. The fact that, like Phil just mentioned there, no one's really talking about Harry Kane. Mm. As good as a player as he's been, the records speak for themselves. Phenomenal. Any team would be on their knees losing someone like Harry Kane and not replacing him like for like as much as they had. Have. Spurs haven't done that. Richarlison stepped up uh, to a degree, Different type of player, a lot of work rate. Is that impressed you as well? The way that Spurs have moved on and Ange's dealt with it.
3: Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, you could not replace Kane anyway. So once he once he was gone, you had to find an, a way to to be effective again, but a, dif- a different way because there's no there's no another Hurricane, and you could not sign a, a striker that was as good as him because there are not that many, and the ones that are as good as him, so Erling Haaland, Kylian Mbappe, and those kind of guys. Are, not ju- are just not possible, not available. So, good for them to find a way. They will be tougher game, of course, than, than Burnley away, for example, or then even Bournemouth away, for sure. There's a derby coming up very soon after the international break, so we'll have a better idea. It's a, it's a risky t- it's risky tactics a lot. If you look at the Pedro Porro ball for Son, which is an incredible ball, but if you look at the position that Pedro Porro takes on the pitch, that ball from Madison, if the ball does from, from whatever reason doesn't get to Pedro Porro, the space in behind is huge, a bit like the first Burnley goal, for example. But I think, again, that is part of what Ange does. It's risky going forward. It's risky defensively. You're going to concede. You're going to give away chances, of course, but you're going to score a lot of goals as well and create a lot of chances yourself. So it's just finding the right the right balance. But when you play like that, even if Kane has left, that means a lot of time on the ball for Madison like that to create. It's a lot of chances for Richarlison, for Son, kuruzewski coming in. We saw Solomon, Solomon, sorry, on the left-hand side, doing really, really well, who could be an impact player from the bench, who could be a starter as well, depending on who you play up front, you've got Ben Johnson coming in. So already all those options are great, different profiles. You can play a different way, which for me was the only way you could really replace Harry again by having all those different players and guys and you could put okay let's put Son up front or Brandon Johnson up front or Richarlison up front let's do this wide and that wide let's bring Madison like this let's put the full, the full back. let's push them forward all that kind of stuff that have been great under glue because I think again he recognised that that was the only way in a way of replacing Harry Kane and, and what Harry Kane left
1: Absolutely alright let's move on to some really serious stuff Fantasy Premier League um look i'm i'm just i'm new at this as is phil um we're finding our way jules you're an absolute pro on this you're on the, on the uh, fpl podcast regularly talk us about how
3: how's your season going so far jules it's not too bad to be fair i had the last two weeks were, were a bit tough i think for a lot of people uh, this week if you captain harland you're gonna you're gonna have a good week of course i hope both of you did mark yes good phil as well well done um but it's a fascinating game, of course, if you're not playing, if you are playing, it's very stressful every weekend and you end up supporting some players like me for James Madison. I mean, I love Spurs, but I don't really support Spurs. I don't you know. I want them to do well. I want everybody to do well. But even more, if those players are in my team. So you end up cheering on some maybe some players. I don't know if Phil has any Arsenal players in his team.
2: Yeah, I wasn't happy when Saka missed that
3: chance. <laughs> so even Phil wants some Arsenal boys to do well sometimes, just for the FPL team. So it's a great game.
1: It's crazy. It's crazy, isn't it, the FPL? What FPL does to you, <laughs> you know, I, I think it comes about, it's, it's all about team selections as well, right? So initially when you pick your squad, like, like Phil, he is obviously a Spurs fan. Can he dare to pick an Arsenal fan? Now he's just, he's conceded that he's
2: got Saka in his team. How dare you? Are you really a Spurs fan? you have to you have to you know you've got to, be, uh, you've got to be logical about these things and and you know Saka is, is classed as a midfielder Marcus Rashford's a midfielder Sons yeah. a midfielder so I've just got all of those guys in you know <laughs> stick them all Salaries in is as well yeah Salaries um I, I might have uttered the words, I'm not playing this stupid game anymore a couple <laughs> of weeks ago when, when things didn't go according to, to plan. And, and, uh, but no, it's, it's it's good. I'm in it. I'm excited. And it does make the matches more interesting when you've got players involved in it as well. So uh, yeah, for the moment, I'm, I'm sticking with it.
3: And, and you know, I what even... You, what would you get... Sorry, I was just going to say, I even get stick from some of my friends who play in the Premier League who said, why am I not in your team? How come I'm not in your team? So sometimes <laughs> I put players like Martial has been in the team last season, Mares has been in the team, Lloris as well just because otherwise I get grief from them. So I'm like, okay, okay, no, I'll put you in the team. Even if to the detriment of my team, sometimes, you know, for peace, I have to do it.
2: <laughs> Tell me, uh, Phil, what'd you get these points this week? What were your points? Uh, I think I was uh, about 87. So obviously captain oh, Ireland brilliant. and then Son got me 20. So I think, you know, got 60 plus points between those two and, uh, and Bamo chipped in and Rashford. So yeah, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was not bad. Was that, was that your best week? I think it's my best week, mate,
1: yeah. Yeah, I've got 82 (laughs) this week, that was by far my best week. I'm buzzing, right? And then I looked at yours, Phil, and went, oh, actually, it's not that great, (laughs) is it? Phil's beating me as well. Um, Jules, what's your best week ever on scores?
3: Oh, I think two years ago, um, a weekend where maybe City scored eight or nine or something like that and I had I treble up on them. I had something like 115, 120 points.
2: Wow. Uh, but, wow! But
3: obviously, for the for the listeners who don't play, or even the ones who play, to get over 100 is really rare. Uh, so if you if you get if you break the 100 mark one one week, it's really good. You can be really proud of yourself. So that's the that's the target. But like Phil said, a week you're in, another week for a few centimeters or the post or something you don't get the points that you, sh- you should get so it's, it's stressful
0: but really really fun
1: and so we're going to have a short break now we're going to talk about transfer talk and the Liga, of course after that
0: hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: So the transfer window is closed. We know Premier League, obviously, as most of the leagues around Europe, closed on uh, last Friday. Let's talk about who were the biggest winners to start with in the and pre- the transfer window. Uh, Jules, who who are you going for?
3: Well, I think it's it's hard not to look at Manchester City again because they they lost some players of course, Mares, Gundogan, Laporte, but when you can spend 100 million on Guardiola to come in, 65 million on Doku when you can get Kovacic for what only 30 million because he had only one year left on his contract. That is really, really decent business. I think Arsenal did their business early, which was really good for them. Whether you agree on the Kai Havertz deal or not, it doesn't matter. I think that was good, even if the, with the Timber injury, Chelsea did what Chelsea do on the Todd Bailey. They spend and spend and spend and spend again, but it also sold really well, which I think needs to be highlighted here because in the end the net spend is is, is decent, really, because of how well they they they, they, they sold. I have got an issue with Manchester United. We mentioned that before. I, I, I think it's maybe a bit too early to value to, to judge to judge, sorry, the, the transfer window. But I think it could have been better, maybe should have been should have been better for, for what they needed. And then I liked in the end what Liverpool did because to get Gravenberch to get McAllister for, for how much they got. Yeah, of course they missed on Calcedo and Lavia. But in the end, I think I think that could be Decent, although I would also, in a way, put Liverpool as the losers because I don't understand how you don't sign a centre-back when you're Liverpool Football Club right now, and you know Konate is injury-prone, unfortunately for him, and then you've been left with Matip and Joe Gomez. So maybe Liverpool could have added a centre-back, but overall, for the top clubs in England, I think it was a pretty successful transfer window.
2: I would agree with uh, you know everything that Jules has said, and you know much as it <laughs> much as it pains me to say. I think Arsenal did have a really good transfer window. Um, the players that they've brought in, as we said, they did the business early. And if you look at who's gone out as well, and the money that they got for players that 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 left, you know, getting good money for uh, Balogun, Granite, Zaka, Matt Turner, they all went for decent fees. Uh, they've cleared out the squad pretty well. And when you look at Declan Rice, the impact that he's had in, in in the games that he's played, he was obviously a player that was needed and has fitted in right in, and is going to be a great signing. I think Kai Havertz, there is a player there. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna see uh, whether or not <laughs> Arteta can get him out. But in theory, I think bringing him in. All right, maybe the money was quite a lot, but bringing him in is uh, is, is not a bad idea. Obviously, Timber, we know, has shown himself to be good despite. The injury in David Raya is—it's um, a strong signing to uh, to to uh, compete for the number one spot. So yeah, as like I said, as much as it pains me to say, I think Arsenal <laughs> have actually done, done done really good business, and um, uh, there we would be pretty happy with how the transfer window has gone.
1: Yeah, and Man is an interesting one, isn't it? They've actually done it seamlessly. They, they're just not there's not been any kind of like uh, hoo-ha about it. They've just gone and identified players and bought them. Whereas we Liverpool, we talk, talk about Caicedo, for example, that the. the the whole ongoing saga that was with that um, was, was, was the tough bit. I think the fact that Chelsea beat them for both signings uh, as well, which, which is, I suppose, from a neutral, view, seeing back, it's quite comical to watch uh, how it'll unfold. But I still think Liverpool did a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. I agree. Centre-half was, was the worry. But, I mean, Slobosai, McAllister, I mean, Slobosai is I'm a big fan. I've seen him a lot in, in the Bundesliga. Um, did have a bad season in terms of injuries. But then once he's been back, he always looked a quality player. And I think McAllister is probably, possibly could be one of the signings of the season in terms of transfer fee and obviously quality of play you're getting. Um, so for me, I'm going to I'm going to go with McAllister as possibly, the, the, I'm going to say he's the signing of the season um, or certainly the window thus far. What about you, Phil?
2: Signing of the window. Um, there's been so many, man. There's been so many big big moves that that, that you know um i go to Jules first man i need to talk about that
3: i mean i think in terms of, of price you're right i don't think you can beat a, a world cup winner with Argentina an Argentinian strike uh, an Argentinian starter at that kind of level for that amount of money is almost obscene so so well done on that i still think that a Declan Rice for example for what he's brought already to Arsenal and what, how, how we can bring this team forward and maybe to another level, while at the same time taking his game to another level as well, could be could be could be huge. So so maybe to go along with your line of McAllister, maybe we can have a, a thought as well for Declan Rice as as a signing of the summer
2: uh james madison yeah that <laughs> james madison oh, um, typical spurs fan isn't uh, it? No, really? oh let's be God. honest that's all you can talk about oh yeah way. because he hasn't he hasn't played well has he? <laughs> and, you know, he, 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 he cost 150 million that he's been a real flop
1: so yeah <laughs> so you go on james madison now look he has been very very good so far let's be honest yeah not not wrong there at all let's go to la liga transfer uh, window uh phil What did you say when I said to you, Joel Felix has
2: been linked with Barcelona? Why are you doing this? I thought we were. were No, I
1: think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant.
2: I I think I said. I think I said. There's no way he's coming. It doesn't make any sense. They don't have the money to sign (laughs) him. Something along those lines. What's going on? Listen, I, I genuinely don't think it makes a huge amount of sense. This um, this this transfer, unless you look at who is behind it and obviously George Mendes has very good links with with Laporta they're very um, they're very close they've done a lot of business together uh, and um I think that was key to making this happen but in terms of Barcelona's structure in their starting 11 I don't think I, I, he wasn't Xavi's top transfer target by any stretch of the imagination I mean okay he'll have him as a squad player but in terms of who I want for my starting 11 it was Joao Cancelo we need a right back we've identified him bring him in please and then Joao Felix um they're going to pay his they're going to pay his wages they're not paying the amortization fee which is actually quite a lot of money this season so they've managed to to not have to pay that but it's still costing them 10 million euros for one season for Joao Felix for a player who is not guaranteed to go into the starting 11 and they will probably play him on the on the left they've been playing with four midfielders and uh, gavi is a sort of f- f- fourth midfielder third attacker on the left wing he probably come into that position but it's not someone that they that they really needed and it's someone who's not had a good two, three, four years like he hasn't, it's not as if he's coming in and he's immediately at a level where he's going to elevate the team. It's a gamble. It's a big gamble and it's a financial gamble with the team where finances are very, very tight as well. So I stick by what I say because I genuinely don't think this made a huge amount of sense. Uh, But obviously I was proved wrong and I will obviously be proved very, very silly when he's player of the season and (laughs) Barcelona win everything.
1: But Jules, has has he just switched one bench to another? I mean, probably, I mean, arguably a slightly better bench in terms of club-wise <laughs> yeah. stature. I mean, even though would led to go Madrid, are obviously a big club as well, but in terms of going to Barcelona, he's just gone from one bench to the other, right?
3: Yeah, I agree with Phil. I agree with everything Phil says. And again, of course, Joao Felix might be very good. We don't know yet, but right now, I don't know where he feels in that team unless there's injuries and Pedri is injured already and there's, he's, he's been injury prone a little bit the last two years. So if if... if Pedri doesn't play much. If Gavi also gets injured, then of course there's room. Otherwise, I don't see how he gets into the team. That's as simple as that. He doesn't have really the attribute that Xavi would want from, from a winger, from a, a pure sense of a winger in terms of space. Look at Rafinha, for example. This is not what Joao Felix does. So I don't really know where he fits, but, but we will see. It was a masterclass from George Mendes, we have to say, taking Ansu, Ansu Fati out of the club to then bring two of his own players in. Well done to him. This is what he's very good at, of course. And for the defensive side of things, Barca won La Liga last season through their defence. Really, this is what they were outstanding with. Uh, With Jules Koundé, our right back. uh, With Joao Aconcelo, our right back. It's a different right back than Jules Koundé. Far more attacking, less defensive, less solid probably, but it will bring you something different. It also shows, I think, that Xavi wants this team to evolve, which is always good. I'm always up for managers trying to change a little bit the way the team plays. So let's let's see. But I, I'm on board with Joel Cancelo, even if he's not my favourite player. With Joel Felix, I agree with Phil. I'm not too, too convinced yet.
1: Jules, should we be surprised that Kylian Mbappe didn't leave PSG and go to Real Madrid?
3: Um, I think so. In a way, I was convinced a month ago, or let's say yeah, mid-July, that he was going to go. I think he was waiting for Florentino to move. I think Florentino was waiting for Mbappe to say something publicly which is usually what Real Madrid and Florentino Perez want players who they want to do in the end that didn't happen the fact that
2: sorry but he did say something he did say something publicly didn't he he said i'm not going to renew after my contract yes. so that was so that was when everybody here started saying right okay Real Madrid are going to sign him they're going to go for him it's going to and then it didn't happen
1: yeah he got banished right he got banished to the reserves yeah as well. he got
3: punished by the club and then they kind of made up he wanted to play I, he's promised the club, now PSG, not to lose with nothing, for the club to get nothing. We don't really know yet what that means. Does that mean that it will extend and include a release clause somewhere for a little money to pay by Barbara Madrid? But again, I can see Phil's head shaking. I don't think Florentino right now is ready to pay any transfer fee because the agreement with Mbappe was... You come as a free agent and we sign you as a free agent. There's a huge signing on fee waiting for Kilian. Once he signed as a free agent, if you have to pay a transfer fee, that changes everything. However, that could also be the, the leave with nothing. Could also be for PSG not to pay him some of the bonuses that they owe him. So you save 50, 60, 70 million. So you don't get a transfer fee, but you still get something because you don't have to pay him that amount of money, which I think is the most likely scenario here. We just don't, we don't know, we don't know yet, but I, I really believe that he was gonna go this summer. I think he thought about it too. I even think that Florentino thought about it. In the end, it didn't happen. There was a huge clash, a huge saga. It will happen next summer. My question to Phil is, okay, Phil, what happens if Erling Haaland says to Florentino, listen, I really, really want to come next summer now in 2024 to Real Madrid. Can Real Madrid afford them both? Can they have to, do they have to choose one of the two? If they had to choose, who would you choose, both of you, between Haaland and Mbappe? This is, this is, I think this is going to be fascinating. Uh,
2: I don't think that they can afford both of them, uh, particularly with what's uh, happened in terms of the uh, Bernabeu uh, renovation. It's been an absolutely massive project for uh, Real Madrid and Real Madrid are a, a well-run club financially. They do have debt, but it's structured. It's it's, it's okay. But for them to have that kind of uh, investment, uh, the papers here had us believe it for a while. They were trying to sell the idea that Haaland and Mbappe could both come, but realistically, I don't think that's, that's gonna happen. In terms of Mbappe coming next year, I just don't believe anything that he says anymore. <laughs> it's just, it's difficult to believe that he when he says, oh yeah, PSG, I'll I'll stay now and I won't leave for anything. I mean, it just, this feels like it's been going on for so long. It yeah. feels like it's happened so many times. And from a Real Madrid perspective, uh, this summer, he has really messed them over. Not, not least because he hasn't come, but because he said that, um, he's not gonna extend his contract. All the focus went on trying to sign him and they didn't bring in harry kane who was the obvious um replacement for karim benzema karim benzema is a very unique player but i think if anyone has a similar kind of skill set it's harry kane they were interested in him this mbappe story comes out i think in june and then the Kane interest just dissipates and it's all about Mbappe. So not only did he not come, but by saying that he wasn't going to extend, he kind of messed up their chances of getting Harry Kane. So I think Mbappe has caused Roma did a lot of problems <laughs> whether he does come. Uh, I'd be I'd be surprised because this is a demanding fan base, uh, Jules, yeah. and they uh, hold their club in very high regard and they expect everyone else to do so as well. Um, interestingly,
1: another ex-PSG player. Uh, firstly, for, uh, Jules, I want to ask you, uh, Sergio Ramos, has he still got it after watching him at PSG? And then i am gonna ask you about the fact that he is he going to Seville? Because it looks like he is, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, just before Phil Phil uh, talked about the Sevilla links, he had the, the toughest season where where things I think were difficult for him, for Messi, for for the new signings in general, where he was also a bit injured. He, he, I mean he, he was signed injured anyway. The second season was better in a in a in a Sergio Ramos, like current Sergio Ramos style, if you want. He can't play a high line defensively. If that's what you want to play, if you want to be really aggressive defensively, he can't play like that because he's too old and, and not quick enough. His reading of the game is great. He still have the charisma, of course. He still has the aura. He's, he's Sergio Ramos, he's great. He's handsome, he's elegant. Everything you want, he's got it, but the pace is not there anymore. Even the physicality, apart from being aggressive, He's not there so much anymore because at that age, it's not possible. So depending on how Mendilibar wants to play, then yeah, maybe he's a good fit and he will bring a lot of experience, of course, to the dressing room. But I don't, I really don't believe he can play for a top club in one of the top five leagues, for sure.
2: Uh, so Mendilibar is uh, a manager who... <laughs> Plays with a defensive highlight, basically, yeah. is uh, something that he's, uh, he's always tried to do. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, Sergio Ramos fitting into that is perhaps questionable at any stage of his career, let alone at, at 37. Um, if, if think it's, it's, it's happening, all the reports here in Spain. It's not official yet at the time of recording, but all the reports here in Spain saying it's going to happen is going to be unveiled on Tuesday at the Estadio Ramon Sanchez Pijuan without any fans, uh, and without any fans because a large section of the Sofia supporters have been giving Sergio Ramos a lot of stick for the last mm, two decades, more or less, since he left Sevilla to join Real Madrid every time he went back he was booed wildly it was really quite hostile and actually that hostility against Ramos just ramped up the general rivalry between Sevilla and Real Madrid which has grown over the last few years so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he is received a lot like I said a large section of the Sevilla supporters do not like him have not liked him and will not take to him but they desperately need uh, a defender uh, because they have um, lots of defensive issues, lots of defensive uh, injuries, and they've lost their first three games in the Liga for the first time in their history. So I don't know if this is just a, um, a mediatic signing. Uh, they don't have a sponsor on their shirt so far this season, Severe, So maybe bringing in someone like Sergio Ramos will help attract uh, on those kind of things. But football-wise, if you say... He can do it in a, on a certain level. Let's see. They're playing Champions League Sevilla. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting one way or another. And I've got the feeling that we're probably going to be talking about Sergio Ramos quite a lot on the podcast this season.
1: So it sounds like there's fun times ahead at Sevilla. I can't wait for that. Sergio Ramos is unveiling first home game. Imagine what that's going to be like. The atmosphere is going to be insane. Um, Mason Greenwood signed for Getafe on transfer deadline Phil tell us what the reaction has been like in Spain in general because I think there was a bit of surprise here in, in England
2: so initially the uh, uh, the reaction was oh wow Getafe have signed a Manchester United player what is what, how and then people who weren't necessarily aware of the story behind Mason Greenwood had a little look and why he was available and then there has been uh, a more sort of slow outpouring of uh, of emotion surprise i think getafe their fans are very happy to have Mason creedwood they are a team shall we say they're a little bit like millwall like no one likes us we don't care um maybe they are the millwall of spanish football they play certainly on the jose Bordelas, a rather um difficult to love brand of football but it works for them so they're not necessarily too concerned about how people view them this is a you know, a, ne- a next level in, 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 in that kind of thing but like I said initially a lot of people weren't aware of the story behind Mason Greenwood and then there has been a lot of people questioning the signing but with Getafe and their admittedly small uh, fan base they're um, I think they're pretty happy to have a player of his quality irrespective of the uh, pretty considerable baggage he comes with
1: Let's move to the uh, the drama of Osasuna against Barcelona Barcelona won it in the end 2-1 Jules uh, Barcelona not very convincing are they at the moment?
3: No, no, I agree. I mean, they found a way of winning, which is good. Uh, I mean, Jimmy Avila scored a, a great goal to make it 1-1, to be fair to, to, to them. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I believe in Xavi, I really, I really do. I think I think there's a great manager there. I think he's going to find a way. We mentioned the, how strong they were defensively last season, which was great. I do think it's easier to build a very strong defense than a strong attack, if you see what I mean. I think it's, it's easier to, to have very solid defensive bases. Then to have a free-flowing attack with the movement and everything. I think Pedri getting injured all the time is not helping him either. Then you've got Rafinha picking up a suspension, for example. So I th- it feels to me like he's stop and go all the time in what he wants to do. However, I, I think they still should play much better than that. I know are a good team. It's not easy to go there and play. Um, but but, but I, I still expect to see more progress from that team from last season to this season. I want to see the young better. I want to see Gavi better. I want to see Balde even better going forward. I think Cancelo will help, and and they're still doing okay. It's not you know it's not it's not bad at all. But but yeah, I, I I think we are we are right to be a bit demanding with Xavi and with and with this team. And also, what I find baffling, it's got nothing to do with football itself. But Phil, what's going on with the kit? Four La Liga games, four different kits. I mean, this is taking the. The, the kid point to another level, man. Four different colors, even.
2: Yeah, it's almost like they need to uh, need to sell kits <laughs> to bring in somebody. <laughs> Potentially. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's not something actually I'd focused on, but you're absolutely right. It's so, uh, crazy. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: Phil, who's looking stronger, Barcelona
2: or Real Madrid? Who would you put your money on right now? Listen, neither of them have made a flying start, to be honest. Uh, Real Madrid have a two-point advantage because they've won all four, but they needed a 95th-minute <laughs> Jude Bellingham winner to, um, to to beat Getafe at home on, on Saturday. So, yeah, neither of them have, have made flying starts. Barcelona have been uh, getting results despite being... Uh, Uh, not necessarily convincing Real Madrid have got some pretty serious injury problems and if you told me they were going to start the season without Courtois without Millet out obviously without Benzema and now with Vinicius out for eight weeks I mean that is really a huge chunk of their spine uh, out and still they managed to to win um yeah neither have been overly convincing atletico madrid had their game suspended yesterday because of the rain as i said if they'd if they'd won uh they would have been uh right up there with uh, with barcelona and real madrid so there's a feeling that atletico have the chance to, to push these two teams uh, this season because neither of them look overly convincing at the start which means that we could have a pretty exciting <laughs> la liga title race on optus sport for everyone to watch which should be good
1: absolutely you mentioned that real madrid beating Hatafé in, in the end uh, in the Benibol, uh which was amazing. Jude Bellingham has scored again. Is that five goals now for, for Jude? Yeah, um, did anyone did, did anyone see this coming? Jules, did you see him having as big an impact as he's had so far at Real Madrid?
3: No, I'm not, no, I didn't think he would adapt so quickly. I think only Cristiano has scored as many or something like that in the first four games for Real Madrid. I, th- I did think, though, that the, uh, the diamond midfield with him at the top of the diamond was a great idea from Carlo Ancelotti. But then again, there's a difference between this is what we're going to do for you and we're going to change the system, which is a pretty big call to make when you're the Real Madrid manager, to change a system that has been working so well for so long to accommodate one, one 20-year-old player, but great. There's a difference between looking, putting it on the, black, on, you know, on, the, on the tactical board, and then having Jude Bellingham delivering it. And I still think, despite all the goals he can do and should do better on the pitch overall in his game. But it's amazing, you have to say, it's amazing. What he's been doing for those first four games is incredible. And without him, God knows where they would be really, especially with all the injuries that Phil mentioned. Uh, but he saved them. He saved them again this weekend. He saved them the weekend before uh, when they won one 0 away at Celta, at Celta. He's 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 fascinating to watch. And let's not forget, he's only twenty years old. And and this is a new position for him. So imagine when he'll be feeling comfortable in that position. When the players around him will also, everybody will feel comfortable. he would be even better.
1: And Phil, you, talk like you talked about that. You talked about impact. How how big is it? And how how much have you seen a? a, a uh, the, the the press the media get excited about Jude Bellingham since the, after these first four games.
2: All right, here's the barometer of how big Jude Bellingham's impact is. My little five-year-old boy plays football in the plaza in the square with his little mates, and when they score, they do the Jude Bellingham celebration. <laughs> that is the barometer. They they love him. Everybody loves Jude. Um, from young to old, he was doing the celebration after scoring against Katafe, and there's a lovely picture of the crowd at the Bernabeu doing the celebration back to him. And if you haven't seen the celebration, it's him sort of arms stretched out wide, sort of staring triumphantly. He's fitted in extremely well in the dressing room as well. He's um He's got he's got it's not an easy dressing room to go into, and immediately he's got everybody's respect and that is very, very difficult to achieve and and, and he's done that. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing him speak Spanish. We've heard him speak Spanish a little bit on the club's social media channels, which is important. I think he'll continue to do that because he's a bright kid. He knows that's important for integration and acceptance. But it couldn't really have gone any better for, for Jude Bellingham. And uh, it seems to be a, a regular spot on the podcast. Jude Bellingham is very good. Uh, we've, we've done it every single week. He scored every single week. And uh, let's see if we do it in a couple of weeks' time when La Liga returns.
1: Let's talk about Girona against Las, Las Palmas. Um, they're second in the league, Phil. What are, give us the rundown on Girona. What, what's going on?
2: Yeah, I've actually been writing about them for uh, Sport for my column this week because it's a, it's a really big change from, from last season. Last season, Girona were like the great entertainers in La Liga. They scored loads of goals, they conceded loads of goals, and they were really good to watch. Um, they didn't keep a clean sheet until match day 20 last season. Six months without a clean sheet, just to give you an idea. And this season, they've kept two clean sheets in four games, so I think that's helped them a lot. Uh, they've lost Oriol Romeo, who was the linchpin of their midfield, but they doesn't seem to have affected them. Daily Blind to Girona seemed like one of these random transfers that were generated by an AI bot or something, but he's come in, he's slotted into the defense as a center back and he's done really well. They've got Eric Garcia as well on loan from Barcelona, who's going to help a lot with bringing the ball out from the back, which is uh, very much how they how they play, and they're just a you know a pretty well run club with an excellent manager in Michel who has a very clear idea of how his team wants to play. They've ridden their luck a little bit, but in terms of their expected goals uh, against. It's not wild, so I think it's about three point five their expected goals against, and they've conceded two. So you know they're not wildly overachieving on on on, on that perspective. And yeah, they're second, um, and they've got a relatively decent run of games as well after the international break. Um, they've got five games, you know, three or four of them are pretty winnable. So we could still be talking about Girona being in the top four in the next international break. And it's um, it's been very impressive.
1: Excellent. Well, that's it for club football for a couple of weeks now. Next up, the international break. So, thanks a lot, Phil. Thanks a lot, Jules, for joining us. And uh, look forward to catch up with you guys very, very soon. A reminder that every game of the Premier League and the Liga is live on Optus Sport, with European qualifiers also coming up this week, and the FA Women's Super League returns in October. It's a great opportunity to see the Matildas back in action for their clubs. Thanks for your company on the Optus Sport Football Podcast. See you next time.